just a boy from Kansas out to save the world from chronic diseases. And I truly mean that. Nobody is in control of your health but you. I can't heal you. Your doctor can't heal you. You have to heal you. And it's all about having the education empowerment to know what you need to be changing within yourself, within your life, to set your soul free and accomplish that best life that we all like to talk about. And I truly believe that the greatest medicine of all is to teach people how not to need it. I'm Brendan Vermeyer, the original Holistic Savage. Welcome to the Holistic Savage Podcast. Hey, hey. What's up, man? <laughs> how are you, dude? Good, man. How are you? Yeah. I'm excited. I am too. I mean, man, you know, we're just gonna we're just gonna riff. First off, super excited to have you on. Super excited. I'm I'm excited. I've been waiting for this day for a long time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it was so cool because it was like when I came on your podcast, I really didn't know what to expect. I'd seen some of your stuff, and then ever since I've been following you avidly because it's like everything I see you posting is just the the perfect fusion of like spirituality functional medicine fused together thought-provoking kind of soul awakening i'm just like this is this is a cool guy <laughs> <laughs> likewise yeah so this will be good so holistic savage podcast you know i, I really um as i think you can appreciate and relate to i i really started podcasting um primarily to uh, give myself an excuse to have cool conversations with cool people. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, well, you know, obviously, hopefully uh, people learn a thing or two. So the, the, the pillars, you know, the subjects of my, my brand, my podcast is it's all about functional medicine, functional fitness, functional spirituality and functional psychology. Um, which, you know, obviously like functional medicine, functional fitness are very established paradigms, but I've never heard anybody say functional spirituality or functional psychology. And it's like, well, I feel like we kind of need all the above, you know, to, to fully manifest our best life. Yeah, I think um, there are some sort of definitions of what spirituality and wisdom are that that pretty much put it at the center of what health and well-being is and look at the functional medicine matrix spirituality is in the center of the matrix unfortunately it's just a quite a small center mm -hmm. um and we almost need to i think flip it yeah. um you know it, it is the center but it should be the biggest part of the matrix if we're using that within our kind of consultations and within our clinical reasoning spirituality wisdom are some of the most common issues I see in my chronically unwell clients. And I'm only just starting to really realize how prominent that is. You're yeah, you couldn't be more spot on. And I think, you know, it is nice where, um, as I've been traveling and, and, uh, I've gotten to, you know, meet and engage with and discuss and, uh, lecture in front of all these different, types of, uh, you know, alternative functional integrative practitioners. And it's been cool. You know, some uh, conferences that I go to are um, pretty much all naturopathic. Some of them very, very much more kind of medical and more kind of conventional 
medical. And I don't say that with, you know, to, it's just, they, they have a different style and they're right. Um, honestly, they're not as energetically open. They're not as energetically receptive, you know, naturopaths tend to be a little bit more, um, you know, crunchy, if you will. And, uh, but you're exactly right where to me, the, the deeper I get into all this, I used to kind of, you know, my spirituality and my spiritual practice was more of like a, a personal thing. It was more of a, that's what I do on my own time to pursue my most authentic self and in the uh, process of becoming the most authentic version or the best version of my most authentic self. Um, but then, you know, as I've been, you know, building and expanding my, my functional medicine practice, um, and holistic health practice, I'm like, I can't separate them anymore. I can't, you know, I can't, uh, be doing this on the side and, and all the valuable lessons that I've kind of learned on my own, or I'm, you know, starting to, you know, tug that string a little bit more. And then meanwhile, yeah, I'm working with all of these individuals that are, um, you know, struggling with their health, mind, body, and soul. And so it's like, well, that is the biggest piece that I see is these people uh, generally, they need a lot of help and work with navigating the psycho-emotional, the spiritual. And that's obviously where there's a lot of people doing cool work. Like, uh, you know, Joe Dispenza, like I have been kind of on to that, been that frequency lately where, uh, but that's where the money is. Like it all, it all starts here. You know, um, we love talking about HPA axis and whatever it is that we want to talk about, but it all starts here. And then our metabolic health is just kind of this downstream reflection, you know, until you get by a bit by that tick and Borrelia swimming around. <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, um, you know, there, whatever, whatever like 30,000 foot term you want to use, you know, resilience, allostatic load, mm -hmm. they all come back to, or at least they partly come back to our perception. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to come back to elements of spirituality and our understanding of ourselves. Um, I mean, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of the concept of resilience. It's one of those things I'm always going to bring up in consults because from a broad perspective, that's what we're always trying to do with our clients. We're trying to build back some resilience. But what I really like about it, and I, it was from a, a book, I think the author is Pemberton, but she talks about resilience not just being this idea of bouncing back from adverse events, but resilience being just as kind of, just as much cognitive, just as much emotional and spiritual as well. So how well can you navigate through stressful experiences? And can you stay aligned to your values? Can you maintain those barriers that we all need to maintain our health and well-being? It's not just about can you bounce back or, you know, grind your teeth through it, but actually can you successfully navigate through it? Um, and I thought that was a really nice shift in how we think about resiliency um, because I think sometimes we view it as just keeping our head down and plowing through um, but that's not necessarily what resilience is. Mm -hmm. Um, and it ties in so much with spirituality and wisdom. Um, you know, a great definition, I found a couple of definitions of these that I, I wrote about recently, but a nice one from a spirituality perspective is a personal search for meaning and purpose in life. 
pretty simple, mm-hmm. but pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they said entails connection to self, chosen beliefs, values, and practices that give meaning to life. So there's a strong element of self-awareness that we need. We need time to reflect, to contemplate. And in fact, there was a study that was done, I think a few years ago now, but they, they kind of investigated what were the requirements required for a group of people to successfully change behavior. And mm-hmm. smoking was one of them, like quitting smoking. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, stability in life was like a really key variable that was required. Uh, that's interesting because when a client is coming to us, are they in a stable point in life? Like that should be a question we're asking because if not, maybe it's not the right time to go down this path. Mm-hmm. Um, but another one was time to do some introspection, to actually figure out their values. That was essential for them to have long-term success successful behavioral change mm-hmm. um and when you start looking at all these things they are just so interconnected like you say yeah. um that you've got to start there there's got to be a degree of self-awareness mm-hmm. self-awareness is an element of self-compassion and mindfulness mm-hmm. so all of these terms that we start to see quite a lot when we enter that space are they overlap completely so in fact a definition of wisdom includes spirituality mm-hmm. um, so wisdom and spirituality suddenly are completely and utterly merged together uh, components of wisdom a general knowledge of life emotion regulation pro-social behaviors like compassion self-reflection acceptance of different value systems mm-hmm. and decisiveness yeah and that last one really got me. So like, I'm not wise at all because <laughs> I, I am not a decisive person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they're just really interesting. And when I went through that and when I was kind of just doing some brainstorming around these, these topics, it, it really stood out to me how much they are lacking in the chronically unwell. Mm-hmm. And for obvious reasons, there's a definite like chicken and egg argument in regards to well, what's come first here. But I think if we are trying to recover from a chronic illness, there is always the psychological, emotional, spiritual side to it. Even Mm -hmm. if those things have been eroded by the constant struggle of having that physical symptom, condition, Mm -hmm. diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, And I honestly believe that the first layer should be getting more more well acquainted with some of those concepts and then building the physical layers on the foundation of a solid spiritual, emotional, psychological framework. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's interesting how, you know, certainly it's like I started my career, uh, you know, like 10 years ago as a trainer and nutritionist. And so it's like constantly trying to, you know, redesign the client experience, right? Because, you know, over the past couple of years, uh, I kind of started finding, you know, I've, I've gotten a little bit different with um, how I communicate in like a consultation of like, all right, if, if we're going to be taking this journey together, which is what this is, you know, this isn't like, 
oh yeah, run a few tests, give you a piece of paper that tells you like take this much of this or you know stop eating this or whatever and see you in three months and you'll be magically better. Like that's not how like functional medicine is very easy paradigm to sell because you know our our society loves instant gratification. Obviously, it's a huge addiction and. Uh, you know, certainly are the behaviors, the uh, social um, kind of uh, sociological behavior patterns and trends are completely screwing up our our wiring and our uh, perception and cognition. But, you know, that's exactly it is we've got to be able to communicate openly and clearly. And that also means if we're going to do that in a professional setting, you know, we can't just be like, well, I'm really woke and I'm about to drop some truth bombs that are going to destroy <laughs> and obliterate your perception of reality. And it's like, well, no, because that's not being an effective coach. That's not being, you know, a responsible professional. It's kind of this more, okay, well, we have to be able to create a safe space where we can start moving through energy, peeling back layers, digging around a little bit like, Ooh, that's sensitive. So let's, uh, you know, let's work around that. Let's, you know, kind of start tugging on that a little bit. Um, and people just, they're not prepared for that. And and that is something in the functional medicine world uh, where, you know, the whole paradigm of functional medicine is is this root cause, but we're not talking enough about the psycho-emotional root causes. And that's where I just had uh, my friend, Dr. Nicole on the podcast and, you know, holistic psychologist, she's huge on, you know, kind of re get like going all the way back and like, let's reframe and and challenge our belief system. And, Mm -hmm. but there's so many different dynamics that we have to tackle. And if, if functional medicine is going to be what we all want it to be, which is kind of this ultimate modality of root cause, helping people heal themselves and not just temporarily, but permanently, you know, yeah, uh, we've we've got to be able to establish almost like a model of how we go back and, you know, start from ground zero with the psycho emotion. You know, you mentioned some a lot of really cool things, but I was thinking like, you know, psyche means soul, right? Like, and if we're trying to, you know, heal the meat suit and we're not doing anything to um, kind of heal the fragments of um, you know, these, these broken spirits and kind of broken psyches and whatnot, then, uh, how are we ever going to get like true healing going on? Yeah. I think, um, I mean, the functional medicine model is an interesting one. It, It almost needs, as you say, a complete, a complete overhaul to some degree, like parts of it I absolutely love. And I think functional medicine from my perspective, has evolved a lot already over the last kind of decade. It was very much functional testing, supplements, and then almost like a generic diet, yeah. uh, whether that was paleo or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there has been an evolution where this part of it is very much coming into it. But it's it's a challenge because, as you say, you've got to meet the client where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... I think sometimes when we are suffering, the last thing we want to do is go to the hardest parts of ourselves that we need to go to. There's a great question in the book, Fierce Conversations, uh, by Susan Scott. 
and uh, she asks, what are you pretending not to know? And I just love that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think you get to a point in your journey where you can look back and be like, okay, I knew that for like 10 years. I, I didn't act on it until now. <laughs> um, yeah. we're, we're all there with something right now. Yeah. Um, and it's such a powerful question and even thing to reflect on. Um, and there are some great case studies in the book around, you know, things from marriages that we're kind of pretending not to know about, et cetera, or within our own marriage. But I think it's that concept that there has to be time. There has to be time in our day, in our week, in our month for some introspection. Yeah. We have to essentially assess where we're at, where we want to be, and are we on the right path? Mm -hmm. um, a big thing I've been reflecting on recently is... I think a lot of suffering comes from overly attaching to things, mm -hmm. overly attaching to things like preferences and expectations. And I love, I think Dr. Joe Dispenza does talk about this, this idea that, yeah, have your intention, have that vision, have the goal, whatever it may be, but then at the same time kind of surrender to it. Yeah. And it's something that I'm really seeing a lot at the moment, which is either attaching to attaching to like a vision of what you want for that experience to be like and the problem then is if it doesn't meet that expectation there is a void and that is going to create a degree of upset or frustration or resentment whatever the actual context may be of the situation so I'm becoming an increasing fan of not saying that we're not going to have preferences or expectations, but not attaching heavily to them. Mm -hmm. Because it's that attachment that I think causes a lot of the issues. And that is true for our health journeys as well. Mm -hmm. I think the more we can accept where we currently are, the easier it is to get somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, I, I'm glad you brought that up. The, you know, resiliency, which you mentioned earlier, that's actually been like a key concept I've been kind of digging at a little bit. And I'm going to have my friend, Dr. Tina on here because we were at a conference and we started because she's uh, she's kind of this punk rock naturopathic doctor chick. And, you know, she loves lifting weights and swinging kettlebells. And so we were more talking about um, you know, strength training and, and fitness training to develop resilience uh, as part of, you know, functional medicine, really. And, you know, so then we got into the subject of like, well, yeah, resilience is key. And so that's where even like with my plant children, which it's funny, like, nobody ever really taught me how to raise plants or grow plants, but you know, they seem to be doing all right. And so I'm now I'm kind of like, you know, I'm touching them more and moving them around. Cause I'm like, plants are supposed to be touched by animals. Like they need that, that stimuli that then develops that resilience, you know, both physically, uh, energetically, emotionally. Cause yeah, I mean, we have to have that, you know, resilience to bounce back in life. And that is that kind of uh, external stimuli that we need to then challenge our homeostatic mechanisms of like, okay, well, we develop that resilience and we're able, you know, it's, I mean, it's not really any different than like, um, you know, being exposed to some kind of, um, you know, virus or bacteria and, oh, we need that to kind of trigger that immune system. And, 
Um, but anyways, you know, you, you mentioned the, the suffering and the attachment to expectations and uh, whatnot. And I was really thinking lately, uh, or something I've really started observing is how, you know, I, I feel like most of our, or most of our suffering is, is really self-induced. And I, I find it to a lot of times be when our outward actions or outward energetic flow, you know, is out of alignment with our innermost truths. You know, when we speak our truth, when we live our truth, which also means we have to dig deep to find what is our truth, you know, or what, what do we think it is right now? But then we have to be living that, uh, with our outward energetic experience on our earth walk. And, you know, otherwise, if we are kind of this, uh, attachment to, you know, this, uh, fallacy or this fantasy or whatever it is, uh, we're just setting ourselves up for some serious, oh shit. Yeah. Well, one of the bi- one of the most common things I see is is attachment to I've got to eat this certain way, mm-hmm. or I've got to take these certain supplements, or I've got to do X, Y, Z because that's what I've read. Mm-hmm. There's a lack of trust. There's often a lack of trust in our own bodies, and we are seeking that certainty from a blog article, and we don't even know who's written it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I understand why we do that. I've been there in my own health journey. But I think one of the things that we have to really do with our clients these days is help them gain trust back in their body mm-hmm. and, and listen to it again. And that comes back to creating space in our days to be able to do that. Um, now, there are always going to be exceptions to the rule. I mean, there's a, I didn't realize there are, there are like departments, apparently, or institutions and things like this, where the people are supporting individuals who have been to like meditation retreats and have basically had a really negative response to the experience. So we talk about, obviously, psychedelics are huge at the moment, and we talk about the bad trip and how set and setting are important in that but there seem to be these sort of bad experiences that people can have when they go away for a meditation weekends, week, day. And there is, um, I think it was in the book. We're going to have to look backwards again. <laughs> the, art, the, art, the arts of losing control. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he gives an example of this person who went away for a week retreat. For the next like six years, she was she had to stay at home. She had to have support and use the couch to keep herself up. She had essentially, she described, I think, as a kind of losing her ego for that amount of time. Mm. She had lost her boundaries. Mm. Um, And I use that as an extreme example, because if you do have an individual with childhood trauma or something that they have pushed down that they haven't fully dealt with, the last thing they need at that point in time, especially if they're lacking resiliency, is to sit down in a quiet room and allow these things to bubble up without the ability, without the resources to then deal with it. Mm -hmm. So I think we sometimes can use these interventions when we don't have the experience, knowledge, or skill set where we're thinking we're doing a good thing. Yeah, go and meditate, aim for 20 minutes a day. Um, But actually it could be the the last thing that they need at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And that comes back to this idea of resilience, not just being a physical thing, um, I 100% agree that physical resilience can have a ripple effect into spiritual, mental, mm-hmm. and emotional resilience. Um, 
but we need to be mindful of what resources does this individual have in those four areas and is that going to influence what recommendations we're going to make at that point in time mm -hmm. um, there's an amazing paper um called uh, well the title of the paper is about acquired resilience <clears throat> and they kind of talk about how like we discuss acquired immunity um how we probably through evolution have had acquired resilience and they spoke about these stresses that we have evolved with such as uv radiation and sunlight such as mm -hmm. fasting or hunger uh physical exercise hypoxia and changes to temperature hot and cold climates mm -hmm. and their, their basic argument was we don't have these things anymore we've lost that acquired resiliency and what we need to do is go and listen a little bit to maybe Wim Hof and get into a cold environment or a cold shower. We need mm -hmm. to do a little bit of intermittent fasting to the level that we can tolerate. Yeah. We need to do a bit of physical exercise to a level that we can tolerate, etc., and starts to build that resilience back up. Mm -hmm. um, and I just think that paper like really hit the nail on the head. Mm -hmm. I, I think you're so right. It, it is, you know, that's what's kind of funny about it. Um, a, a big part of this year for me has uh, kind of involved like reconnecting with my roots because, you know, like, okay, started as a trainer and I got just so tired of the um, limited scope of the fitness world and the fitness industry. And, you know, um, it was just very like, you know, precision nutrition, behavior modification of very very annoyingly basic nutritional principles with uh you know workout and then it's all it was just fitness nutrition and but the funny thing as i've been because then I, I i i swung really hard the other way and then you know now i'm traveling around lecturing doctors about like mold toxicity and stuff but then you know i i swung to this side but then i see like oh shit like when i did that there's this huge gap that it seems like not a lot of other practitioners are doing anything about to some degree, just still very like, okay, so, you know, what test do we run? What supplement or medication do we give? And da, 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 da. and I'm like, well, shit, that's not the point either. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and um, so then it, it's had me reflecting on just the, the basic principle, uh, you know, personal training 101 or fitness training 101, specific adaptation to impose demand. And then it's like you start applying that, that said principle to the psycho-emotional and the spiritual and everything else. And it's like, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm really big on uh, kind of more the environmental medicine approach because it's like, you know, if you're trying to improve the health of an organism, I mean, isn't step one kind of looking at the environment of the organism? And, and so I love what you're saying about, yeah, the, you know, the UV stimulation or not always having food or getting, uh, exposed to cold and all of these different adaptive mechanisms that we're going to have to build resilience. And I mean, that's the whole point of working out. Right. And so like you said, with the woman who, okay, the, the meditation and then not being prepared for what that would evoke and what, what traumas that might release, what kind of toxic stored energy that might bring up or bubble up. And it's, it's no different than, uh, you know, uh, somebody decides, okay, well, I need to get healthy. I need to get fit. Um, they haven't been doing any physical training and now they're getting smashed in the gym by, you know, themselves or a trainer or a CrossFit coach or whatever it is. 
their body is not prepared for that level of, you know, training yet. So it's kind of the same thing with psycho-emotional spiritual. It's almost like we have to be able to do a bit of an assessment to kind of gauge where are they psycho-emotionally, spiritually, and how do we start applying these, you know, therapeutic interventions like meditation or uh, plant medicine or whatever it is that is just taking that time of, okay, let's step back, let's introspect, let's start digging into our soul a little bit. But, you know, just like with working out, and this is something I've, I've gained a lot of, you know, I, I really feel in the past two years, I've had a pretty tremendous awakening in my own life. Uh, before it was kind of stumbling around in the dark and it's like, well, I feel this energy I feel this, but I don't know what this is or what to do with it. And then it kind of like smack, you know, and the lights turn on. It's like, oh shit, like got a lot to explore. But you said something earlier too, I wanted to touch on um, because I'm huge on ego work. Like I think ego work, which is kind of becoming like a thing now, and yeah. like a more accepted practice amongst especially millennials, this idea of like, wow, you know, we've lost control of our ego as a mass collective consciousness. And um, so then it's kind of this like, well, shit, what is the ego? And one thing I found is sometimes it's almost like we deconstruct it and we dissect it to the point of like, we are almost kind of killing our ego sometimes or detaching too much from it. And it's like, well, ego is a part of us. And my perception of ego my working perception, if we will, uh, is kind of this like, you know, I think our ego is this sort of uh, primordial defense mechanism of self-interest that propels us towards continuity. You know, like if an organism doesn't have this kind of intrinsic desire to continue, well, nature doesn't work. You know, the, the, the bacteria wants to proliferate, The you know, the the humans want to spread and something that kind of sucks is like, well, our species is very much parasitic to the planet. That's, that's a very shitty reality of um, being. (laughs) And so riddle me this, Alex Manos, this is something actually just recently I've been, you know, writing about in my notebook here, but I've been thinking about how you look at um, animals in the wild versus humans. Like humans are, in a class of their own, you know, there, there are no other humans that come close to the, you know, kind of cognitive uh, abilities of humans. And so I've been kind of thinking about like, okay, so what, what makes us so damn special or what makes us think we're so damn special? And it's like, well, it's our uh, capacity for higher intellect, higher reasoning. Um, but it's led us down this path that we're at now and, you know, chronic disease on all time high. And I just had a little flowery post the other day about how, you know, if you let societal trends dictate your beliefs, your, um, your behavior, like you are statistically inclined to become sick. You are statistically inclined to become depressed, lonely. You know, and we see in the scientific literature, like lonely is its own kind of predictive all-cause mortality indice, you know, whereas having a sense of purpose increases longevity. And so then it's kind of this like, all right, well, you know, that that uh, desire of ours to have that continuity, but then there's the the path of the parasite versus like the path of the higher self. And I think controlling our ego and, and doing that ego work has a big 
determining effect on kind of which side we're going down. And so I've been thinking about, because I stay up at night, like how do we course correct the, the damage that we're doing to this planet? And um, something I've been coming back to is, you know, humans have a much greater capacity to envision what could be. And that strips us out of the infinite here and now. You know, you look at animals in the wild, the lion isn't really thinking too far into the future of like, well, if I start accumulating my resources, we could build up like a, a hell of pride that like takes over Africa. No, the lion is like, okay, I ate, cool. I'm going to play, cool. I'm going to sleep, cool. And so I feel like in a way, the, the human's ability to, you know, project our ego into the future, to envision and to, you know, then manifest that reality. Um, and that has come at the cost of, you know, making ourselves sick and tired and destroying the planet at the same time. And it's like, huh, I, you know, we need to reel that back into the conscious, the present, the, you know, I'm just kind of throwing shit out there at this point. <laughs> That's awesome. I feel like you you would dig that though, you know, kind of this this foresight thing. It's like, oh shit, like we sort of, you know, yeah, took a hard steer there, humans. I think um, I think it partly comes back to we have these primal needs and desires that now can be so abundantly met that that's the problem. Yes. Yes. Basically. Um, yeah and you know when resources were limited accumulating them made sense yeah now it we just don't even need to (laughs) (laughs) you know shops are open 24 7 etc yeah um so i think that's a big factor but one of the things that i've been i've been reflecting on and thinking about (coughs) excuse me bless you oh thank you um is how significant the disconnection from nature is yeah so i think that's that's huge for me and i'm i'm kind of almost i feel like i'm being drawn away from my my career and what it has been with the nutrition the personal training the functional medicine and more to an environmental, natural, even more holistic mm-hmm. side of work. Because I think that's, as you said earlier, where kind of money's at. That's where things happen. That's where people shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, when I say that's where the money's at, like you, I'm not literally meaning, I'm going to earn more money by doing that. Right, you're right. Um, <laughs> probably not. Probably less. <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> if we're being honest. Less. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I... The last, what, six months, I've been doing a lot of reading on sort of the psychedelic side of things. Last month, I had my, my psychedelic experience. Yeah, we got to talk all about that. <laughs> um, and one thing I read this morning, I'm reading, uh, I think it's, the book's called The Way of the Shaman. Um, mm. And they spoke about how to come up with ayahuasca. You know, the, the thought was it's trial and error that they combined these two plant medicines together over what must have been tens and thousands of different trials, and they then suddenly found this. Um, What the actual indigenous people have said, and what they all say, 
is that the plants essentially spoke to them, that they were shown to combine these plants together. And there's this argument that that is how connected they are with nature. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't some chance that happened over like 10,000 years of trying all the different plants in the Amazonian rainforest. I'm not sure what the math is, but it's going to be pretty scary. Mm -hmm. um, they all claim, apparently, that, you know, they were essentially instructed, told, however you want to describe it, that this is what they should now do. Um, and I, I know that that sounds incredibly wacky and things like this, but but when you when you have spent time reading about all of these case studies, even some of the anecdotal evidence and also the evidence that is coming out of places like John Hopkins and Imperial College London, KCL in London, it is mind blowing. Um, and going back to the idea of the ego, my the lead facilitator at Synthesis, where I where I had my experience, was basically like, "Yeah, Alex, you had you experienced the death of the ego," and I'm like, "Yeah, that's <laughs> the only that's that's the only way to describe what happened." Yeah, um, because I was formless. Mm -hmm. You know, my body literally kind of melted into the mattress I was lying on, and that was really scary. And it took me a while to let go. Yeah. And I can only now see how that is my ego. The ego is a thing trying to keep control. Yeah. It's ke keeping your identity there. It's mm -hmm. keeping that narrative that you've created. It's keeping that mask and the walls that we've all set up for ourselves. And I think the stronger that ego is, my theory, and I think this is a general consensus, is um, it becomes harder to surrender. Mm -hmm. But once you have surrendered to the plant medicine, that's when all the beautiful stuff happens. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a barometer. Like it was really interesting. So we, um, we all went into the room. There were, I think, nine of us. Uh, and we started munching on our truffles after having the tea. And, uh, you know, everyone's lying down with their eye mask on, their duvet on. Uh, and they warn us of nausea. Mm. And boy, I experienced, I was like the only one who experienced oh, bad nausea. But, but to the point where I had to get up, I left the room, went to the toilet in case I was going to throw up. Mm -hmm. um, and at this point, which was probably about 10 minutes after having finished my, um, my truffles, things are moving. So like there are these tiles in the bathroom with lizards on. The lizards are just crawling <laughs> around the wall. <laughs> yeah. so I'm, in, I'm in this tiny cubicle worrying that I'm going to vomit trying to figure out whether I need to pee, um, <laughs> not wanting to go back into the room because this is really hard and I'm not enjoying it at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm literally in the, this cubicle for five minutes going, shit, like there's, <laughs> there's no turning back. Like it's not like I can do no. anything. No. I have to surrender somehow to the experience. So I walk out, one of the facilitators is there. She kind of looks at me. She says, you know, what do you want to do? I'm like, I have no idea. I don't know whether I, <laughs> I don't know whether I want to go for a walk outside. I'm pretty sure I don't want to go back in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, she gives me a quick massage and like, it's the only thing I can do. So I go back in, put my eye mask on, and then over the next 15 to 20 minutes, I am constantly pulling my eye mask off, looking up, trying to basically get back to reality and calm myself down. 
because every time I put the eye mask on and I try and relax, I am dissolving. Really? <laughs> uh, <laughs> basically, yeah. I'm literally yeah. sinking into my mattress and I can feel myself melting away. I'm starting to see music. Um, and it gets to the, or it got to the point for me, and this is, I think, the really interesting part around psychedelics and how they have an in, intuitive healing property to them mm-hmm. and i'm gonna jump around a bit now but you're good there were many times during the experience that i had no idea whether there was actual music being played in the room or if the music was coming from within me mm-hmm. what i knew for certain was well let me put this another way what it felt like was it was coming from within me it was not coming through my ear it was not coming from the speaker that was about 10 away from me it was very much like originating within me it was the most beautiful experience that i've ever had easily and what's interesting was they as you probably know and as many listeners i'm sure know because there are going to be people who are way more experienced than me on this um they ask you to have an intention for the ceremony for the experience and interestingly a lot of us had a similar intention mine was very much around connectedness Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to kind of reconnect with myself. I wanted to have a stronger connection with my wife and my family and my friends and just generally feel more connected to the world because certainly at times over the years, I felt relatively disconnected, um, I guess more spiritually than anything else. Um, now, what happened in the experience was this complete and utter connection to the music. Um, like I have never felt connection to music like that or almost anything like it was just indescribable really but I also experienced the death of the ego and I experienced being in a place where for half an hour or so I genuinely was thinking I had a psychotic break mm. and I wondered whether I had lost my mind and I was one of these very few examples of someone who shouldn't have done psychedelics mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was in what I, the word that innately came to me was the cosmos. I didn't even know at the time what really the cosmos was, but that seems to fit this kind of place where I was. Um, and I just had these thoughts. I was like, are people, you know, standing over me right now in the room who are they trying to like resuscitate me kind of thing? Um, how, how the hell am I going to get to a plane tomorrow when I'm not in the body? Mm -hmm. Um, am I ever going to see my wife and parents again? Like these thoughts were coming up, but in a weirdly calm manner, Mm -hmm. because it was so beautiful at the same time. I I remember thinking if this is what the rest of my like existence is, I'm kind of okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was that magical and beautiful. Um, but what was interesting and and it took me a few hours post the trip to sort of put this together, but I had disconnected from music in my real life. I used to love singing, um, just, you know, just in the kitchen, in the car, stuff like that. Um, I used to like listening to music, etc. That had sort of slipped away. You know, life had got a little bit more serious, um, etc. And I experienced during the trip, the ceremony, a complete and utter disconnection from myself and my family and my friends. Even though in my real life, I did have that to quite a big degree. I just hadn't appreciated and accepted it as much as I could. So my reflection from the experiences was this kind of, wow, you know, this medicine has given me 
an experience with music to reignite that experience and that connection in real life. And it's shown me what it's like to be completely disconnected from people who actually I was connected with, but I wasn't putting as much, let's just say, emphasis on those relationships as, mm-hmm. I, as I want to be. Um, so it showed me connection through complete disconnection and mm-hmm. really the death of the ego, so disconnection from myself as well. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the day after we have the integration day, so there's journaling, there's dancing, there's shaking, there's all sorts of things to help you integrate the experience. And I was at the airport listening to music that was just on in the, you know, the airport speakers and starting to dance a little bit and just going, this is just beautiful. (laughs) You know, just like some of that ego had broken down. I was comfortable doing things that I may not have been previously. And then on the plane, I was like, I was journaling. I was, you know, having these eureka moments and realizations. And I was like, let's just connect to music again. Um, You know, I was crying for like half an hour of the hour journey back. I was like, the music was so deep so meaningful so moving and then you've got the transition back to reality which also is just challenging you know one of the things that i didn't realize as much was how challenging it can be for people that love you who just cannot understand the profound experience you just had Mm -hmm. so then suddenly there's this you know in the grand scheme of things tiny voids where you've had this experience, you're, you're trying to articulate it to people who haven't had a psychedelic experience. And when you're talking about a high-dose psychedelic experience, there's no describing it. People describe mm-hmm. it as it's indescribable. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got all sorts of strange challenges that come up. Um, others who just don't really seem particularly interested, even though you're so passionate about wanting to kind of say, hey, I just had this amazing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously there's going back to the mundane nine to five, so to speak. Yeah. And even though I'm incredibly passionate about what I do, there were definitely questions around, man, I, I've got some imbalances here, even though this yeah. is my passion, like this is not, this is not cool. Yeah. Um, so there's that, those kind of things that obviously come up. And then for me, there was almost this little disappointment that unlike others, I feel some of those things have not stuck. Mm-hmm. You know, I think some of those neural pathways for me were so hardwired after like 13 years of self-employment, being single most of the time, living alone for some of it, like being almost dysfunctionally independent, mm-hmm. as what Holden talks about, that I've had to be really mindful and try really hard to stay connected to the experience. And I think it was Sam Harris in his book, um, oh, I think it's called Waking Up. He talks about how and this, this was really nice. He talks about how you kind of just, you forget the experience. It's such of a different world mm-hmm. that it's hard to stay connected. And I, I was worried that it was just me. And when I read that in his book, I was like, oh, okay. You know, it's not just me having detached from it. Because it does feel now like an experience but also very much like a story you know mm-hmm. I, i've told it so many times i've kind of reacted it and i definitely feel that another high dose experience is due soon as mm-hmm. a, a booster whatever you want to call it right um, just to start breaking down some of those obviously very well established neural pathways you know one yeah. of those examples of 
you're skiing down the slope and if you keep skiing the same one it gets harder and harder i just think i've got some really well skied slopes yeah um, and one of the things i've done is i've booked holotropic breath work for january which was the closest i could book it for i i'm going to be going to five rhythm dance classes which is all very much about spontaneous dancing on your own to music mm -hmm. um, there are like a, there are five types of dance but within that you just go for it mm -hmm. so i am i'm trying to build into my i guess routine non-psychedelic tools to potentially a create those ecstatic experiences but secondly break down some of the barriers you know it's in some ways i just think it's so crazy that we can feel uncomfortable dancing in public like that's yeah. pretty weird yeah. <laughs> um but that's definitely me um yeah. you know Me i too. struggled friday evening the night before the ceremony the nine of us were in a room we had eye masks on and we had to dance to music the only people who could see me dance were the facilitators at the retreat mm -hmm. like the most beautiful people i've ever met in my entire life you want to you want to engage with spiritually whole people those guys are the guys to go and hang out with like yeah. it was amazing yeah but i couldn't do it like my dance was just the chicken head dance like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even though there was about seven people who could see me no one yeah. else could i still struggled yeah uh, and i think that shows you that shows you kind of some of the barriers you can put up so mm -hmm. a thing that i'm really passionate about now is putting myself in uncomfortable situations yeah and to grow from them whether that's dancing in public whether that's um you know going back to breath work one thing i haven't mentioned yet is we did a transformational breath session the morning of the ceremony and within that i was in tears both laughing and crying um and that was purely through breath work mm -hmm. so that was like a huge eye-opener to me again going back to some of the stuff we mentioned at the beginning what do we have access to that we potentially just don't have the knowledge or skill set to access mm -hmm. um, and for me the whole breathwork thing was like this just eureka moment of oh my god you know i can experience this joy this love this happiness that is having me uncontrollably laughing mm -hmm. and i can experience this deep sadness afterwards that I have this within me and I am not showing it on a regular mm -hmm. basis. I am not showing this joy, this playfulness to my wife or my parents. And it was really upsetting, but in a very warm, like nourishing, gentle way. And that is, I guess, my part of my mission now is to stay connected to that, to do breath work, to do spontaneous dance, to journal to break down some of those barriers that we could call the ego mm -hmm. and to in the future help others with that as well mm -hmm. because i'm not sure if we mentioned on my podcast brendan but you know i've, I've for a long time had this idea of health being around free-flowing energy mm -hmm. you know the martial artist the yogi the tai chi master waves of the ocean whatever you want to use as kind of the, the metaphor and analogy it's this idea that if we are to be truly healthy, we have to have free flowing energy within us. Yeah. 
one thing I haven't mentioned that's just come in, Stat, is I experienced my second chakra for the first time ever during my experience. Mm-hmm. And that for me was like this, okay, I now am completely sold <laughs> mm-hmm. on the, the concept of chakras because that is the only thing it could be. This very localized, almost ping pong size ball of warm energy that was exactly where the second second chakra is Mm -hmm. with certain characteristics of the second chakra being true to my life as well. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just like this physical sensation I experienced. Some of the stuff that I need to work through is related to the second chakra and the blockage there. Mm -hmm. I was just like, my mind was blown with, with kind of that element of things as well. So I think, you know, one of the things that I've, I found where to go and who I'm going to see, but I haven't yet booked it is, is kind of chakra healing. Essentially. I'm so curious to go and have some of that done to see just to see if anything happens again. I'm not attaching to it. I'm just super curious. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's what brings a spark to my day. Now the, these kind of topics and conversations like we need to let go. We need to surrender we need to have fun. We need to be more playful. We need to take our health right. seriously and have that broader perspective. Mm-hmm. And I left synthesis really strongly believing there are obviously individuals that shouldn't do psychedelics. Um, that seems like a general consensus, but I think who that is is very hard to say. I think the one categorical thing that I, I've heard through um, sort of interviews that I've listened to, etc., is people with a maybe a tendency for um, schizophrenia. Mm. But obviously, it's being used in treatment-resistant depression, in addiction, in various mental health um, states, with really great success. And I thought what was interesting was an interview I listened to um, recently, where it is the most successful thing for quitting smoking. Like Mm. if you look at the the comparisons of the different uh, tools that are out there. Um, And yet, obviously, with the counterculture movement, everyone was doing psychedelics and everyone was smoking. And the guy kind of used this as the example of that's how how powerful having the intention is when you go into the experience. Mm -hmm. If you want to quit smoking and that is your intention from your psychedelic ceremony, then there's a really high success rate. Um, but if you don't want to quit, then obviously it's not going to magically do something. Right. Um, and I just, yeah, it's, it was a life changing experience that requires a lot of work at the yeah. same time. Otherwise that it, all it is, is an experience mm-hmm. um, and almost like a drug experience. You know, right. if you're not, if you're not going to integrate the lessons that come up, then you could argue that's all it was. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from any of the any of the immediate behavioral change that can take place, but I've kind of described it as it can be a catalyst for behavioral change because again, you're as Michael Pollan will say, you're uh, shaking the snow globe. You mm-hmm. know, you are getting your you are getting parts of the brain to communicate with one another that don't usually communicate. So there's this whole whole cascade of pathways that like kind of open up there's an amazing image from a lecture uh i can only assume it was like some brain mri scan or something they did but it was a just imagine a sphere 
of how the brain normally communicates. So looking at like the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala and all the different compartments. And then what happens during a psychedelic experience and suddenly all of these different compartments are communicating with one another. And this is the idea of shaking up the snow globe. You know, what's going to, what are you going to be able to kind of, so to speak, dislodge and how is that going to allow you to establish healthier or more positive behaviors or whatever it is that you are trying to achieve through your use of psychedelics. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just such a powerful tool, I think, for that reason. I mean, Synthesis have now just gone to a five-day retreat where you do two ceremonies. Mm -hmm. So you do kind of a low level and then a, a higher one as your second ceremony. Um, and I think my assumption based on my experience is if you suspect that some of your behaviors may be pretty well embedded in, in like your neurology that mm -hmm. maybe that's a really good option um or certainly going back three six months later that's the for me that is the way it's probably will work best but again it comes back to how well you integrated it you know are you journaling mm -hmm. daily do you have those new practices to help you kind of stay connected to the truth Mm -hmm. um, I think as Alan Watts has a quote along the lines of once you've heard the message, hang up the phone. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of feel like I could in some ways, like that message of I experienced the death of the ego. I experienced being what I feel is the place where we all reside energetically and spiritually. Yeah. There, there was this moment where I was in the cosmos and, I heard one of the other attendees laugh. She was obviously having a, a great time in her half of the room. <laughs> and um, I just broke out in like just the deepest, most genuine laughter. And it was, it's hard to describe. It was like this epiphany, a moment of, oh my God, this is where we're all from. And we have all created our own mask. You know, we are standing behind this narrative, this mask that we have created for ourselves and that has been put on us through various, I guess, elements of society and people that have been within our lives. And it was, in this experience, it was kind of comical. It was this, oh my God, we're all so stupid. <laughs> yeah. You know, let's just let go of the mask of the ego. Let's be who we truly are. Mm -hmm. um, and that is love. You know, yeah. that is, we're all connected. That is, we are part of the, the universe and we are part of nature. And I think this theory that the counterculture movement and the, the, these hippies, so to speak, who were loving nature and, and protecting nature, that was driven by the, the, nationwide use or global use of psychedelics. And I, I do believe that. I think it brings mm -hmm. you back to nature and connection. Mm -hmm. And they were obviously, you know, essentially shut down and it was made illegal and everyone knows the story. Right. Um, so, you know, for me, my vision is I want to be involved in that, in that world, you know, mm -hmm. whether that's going and getting some sort of psychotherapy type degree so I can do integration work when it becomes legal or whatever it may be. Um, I just think it's that powerful. Mm -hmm. And you and I and, and practitioners listening will, will have clients who struggle with the behavioral side. That's clinically what we see day, out, day in, day out. It's not anything other than there is a behavioral element which is often driven from an emotional 
elements. Mm-hmm. Most of my clients intellectually, rationally know what they should do to a large degree. You know, a bit more exercise, a bit less crap food, yeah. etc. You know, there are things that they know they should be doing but struggle to do, as there are with me, as there are with most people. Um, and I think shaking the snow globe in however you want to do it, it doesn't have to be psychedelics. It could be through dance, you know, mm-hmm. kind of getting you outside your comfort zone, mm-hmm. I think is huge when we're talking about healthcare. Yeah. Because we need to shift our perspective of who we are, what we're capable of. Uh, we need to shift our rituals and habits often. And I think this is like a really great way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And it's really exciting to, uh, you know, which I should start by saying like, I've never done true plant medicine, which uh, sometimes surprises people because some of the shit that comes out of my mouth. But uh, <laughs> I know a lot of people that have done a lot of plant medicine and it's it's very high on my my list of things to do in 2020. Um, and I, I kind of consider myself right now you know, cause I'm not, I'm not being like a, a little kid about it of like, Oh, I just can't wait to go trip balls and you know, whatever comes from that. It's like, no, I, I recognize, you know, the, I, I, I recognize really what it is, what the purpose is. And so I kind of consider myself now, I feel very kind of content as I'm moving in that direction. I totally see, I could see myself becoming a shaman eventually, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. uh, you know, I, I would do something like that, but, uh, I'm just enjoying kind of this, this pro- process of, you know, I've become in a way, um, almost kind of, and I, I challenge myself. I question myself a little bit on like Brennan, you know, maybe just observe without judgment, just kind of observe your own behavior a little bit. Cause I've kind of become addicted to, um, hunting down weaknesses or voids, you know, in my character, in my soul. Um, cause like I, I genuinely want to, you know, uh, be the, the best I can be or like, you know, reach that ultimate level of self-actualization is really what it is. Um, and so then, you know, you are kind of constantly challenging your belief system and, you know, what's the story I'm telling myself? And, you know, ultimately the only thing that, that I feel we do kind of know, um, is our energetic intuition, you know, and I, I think intuition is kind of this ultimate guiding, um, energy that, you know, it's guiding us towards source. It's guiding us towards truth. That's what I feel this intuition that we all, you know, kind of acknowledge, but we don't cultivate. And in today's culture, we've disconnected so much from nature. We've disconnected so much from, um, you know, ancient wisdoms and values that our species has always, um, kind of cherished and, and taught and practiced and preached throughout any successful civilization throughout history. Uh, and we're just so disconnected from, from all of that, you know, and technology, which is really a pretty young phenomena. These things didn't exist, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, mm. And so now it's like our, I was thinking about this. I wrote something the other day because like neurochemistry was really my first uh, kind of scientific love because I always struggled with 
uh, depression or, or ADHD and stuff. And so neurochemistry was the obvious, like, oh, well, let me dive in there. I was writing about something the other day, because with behavior, you know, I think we are all uh, very much driven by behavior. And I've always looked at as like, with the functional medicine model or holistic healing model, and I actually literally put um, this in my courses that I am finishing the recordings for right now. And I teach in my course, like, hey, physiology, psychology, it's the yin yang, you can't you can't separate it. You know, the physiology is heavily influenced by the psychology and vice versa. And it's just this infinite, you know, thing that we have to be addressing all components of. Um, because, and that's what I love about nature or like with um, mold toxicity, which is kind of the subject everybody knows me for at this point. But I love it because it's such an environmental thing. I mean, we, we fungi is its own um, kingdom, right? You know, you've got plants, animals, fungi. Fungi is its own freaking uh, kingdom uh, of life on this planet that we've co-evolved with, coexisted with. Uh, fungi has been on this planet way longer than humans have. It's extremely sophisticated and adapted. Um, you know, yeah, and it, okay, it has its own defense mechanism of mycotoxins, and oh, damn, those things can make us really, really sick, <laughs> you know what I mean, um, and it's stuff like that, but I was thinking about it the other day, so certainly there is that more just kind of physiological, like, oh, well, there is, you know, a biological defense mechanism coming from this organism that we're coexisting with in nature, or now in our pseudo cave environments, you know, and I could go into riff about that. But as far as behavior, though, too, I was writing this the other day of, you know, um, one in six Americans are on antidepressant medications. That's kind of the current wow. statistic. One in six, you know, and that used to be me. I used to be on four different psychiatric drugs at the same time, highest prescribable dose. And I still felt awful and I was in toxic relationship and a toxic home that was very musty and moldy. So, you know, it's, um, I'm living my truth and that's where it's such a pleasure to just, you know, like, Oh yeah, I lecture to doctors about mold toxicity and I get on podcasts and riff about psychoemotional stuff. Um, but I'm just living my truth. I'm just walking the path and, you know, navigating it as it comes. Um, but like with behavior, you know, serotonin, um, that's where the psychological research and everything, it's its really just pointing us back to this kind of intuitive nature connection where, uh, you know, delayed gratification is associated with a greater serotonin response. You know, like we know that, oh, you know, I, how many likes did I get on my Instagram yeah. post? Like dopamine, you know, great reward sensation and all of that. But then with, uh, you know, serotonin. So my point being kind of this like, well, all right, so serotonin. Um, you know, our happy, joyful neurotransmitter, one in six Americans drawn antidepressants, probably SSRIs to, you know, artificially raise the serotonogenic, uh, you know, response. And it's like, well, wait a second, delayed gratification. So really, you have the power to give yourself a greater serotonin response by changing the behavior in doing things in a way that induces that sensation of delayed gratification instead of instant gratification. Actually, you know, where I first kind of got caught onto this subject was um, precision nutrition level two. You know about precision nutrition? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like it's become like the the biggest nutrition coaching certification in the world. And that was my very first one. And I was in the first level two master class ever. Um, And they're all about psychology. They're all about behavior, you know, without behavior modification. (laughs) Like, how can you follow a functional medicine protocol without changing behavior? (laughs) It is all ultimately just behavior modification. Uh, And to change the behavior, we have to change the belief system. And so you know, with delayed gratification. All right. Well, how do you, how do you practice delayed gratification through behavior change? And it's like, well, um, it requires discipline. You know what I mean? Because you can't just, oh, you know, instant gratification is like the opposite of discipline. You know, it's just like, give me that now. I don't, I don't want to work for it. I don't want (laughs) to be without it. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I want that gratification, mind, body, soul, whatever it is right now. Uh, and you know, that's very much a dopamine. And so part of it is we've built this culture. We've built this society, you know, highly stimulating. It's very ego seductive. And that's where, uh, you know, our, our societal model, our social trends, our behavior as a collective, um, is, is hurting us and making us sad, lonely, depressed. Uh, and so, but it's like, but we have that, that conscious power of choice. We can choose to change our behavior that, you know, is giving us this delayed gratification, which is associated with a greater serotonin response. So I was kind of savage about it. just like, you know what, sometimes you have to have a little bit of, you know, discipline, <laughs> practice a little discipline to give yourself that serotonin response. Um, And that's where I think, you know, plant medicine is a conscious expanding tool. And, you know, um, Joe Dispenza, I I like his attitude about it because I think some people, yeah, I mean, it's all about how you use it, but these different plant medicines, okay, well, they are working with our natural biochemistry and biology, you know, big pharma produces synthetic stuff that, you know, it, it alters our natural biochemistry. It's plant medicine, no different. It's just a little bit more raw, a little bit more less refined and whatever tampered with and just kind of pure from nature. And, um, you know, our species has always experimented and played with that. And it has helped us develop our different spiritual belief systems that help guide us. You know, today we live in the world of artificial technology and very, you know, quantify, rationalize, you know, we've, we've limited ourselves very much. And so I like how Joe talks about, you know, using plant medicine as that catalyst to kind of awaken neural networks that you've just never used. It's kind of like, you know, you take a brand new personal training client through workout, you know, for the first time, what do they always say? Wow, I'm sore in places I didn't even know existed. (laughs) It's just kind of like, it's a lot like that, I I think, with uh, plant medicine of using parts of our brain, awakening parts of our psyche and soul and consciousness that in the very worldly environment that is our modern society, we just never tap into and it's so closed off. Um, But as he says, you know, the the work is really, um, you know, you might stimulate those neural networks and it's like, Oh, I didn't even know that path existed. But now because of this kind of catalyst, this awakening, this profound experience, I know that there's this other path, but then you've got to put in the work and, you know, integrate that back to reality. 
And that's where, you know, I, I think it's something to be done, you know, responsibly and with intention because you want to make that a productive experience. I've definitely seen some people go down the rabbit hole and never come back. Yeah. I think um, set and setting is huge. And like we had one guy in our group who did no prep. Like he, yeah. he literally didn't really have a clue what he, he was about to do. Um, yeah. And you know, he had, he had a little moment as most of us did during the experience. But when you've got people who are experienced in supporting you when you are experiencing that bit of anxiety and you're struggling to let go, then you know, you're in such a safe setting that I do feel there are an awful lot of people who can go and do that sort of experience, even if they do have a degree of uh, psychological distress for a term. Mm. Um, I think that sense setting is, as everyone discusses, is the most important thing. But one thing also, going back to one thing you mentioned with this idea of spirituality, self-growth, uh, being the best version of yourself, like so many of us are seeking, I'd be interested in your thoughts around, do you feel it can create a vicious loop? And what I mean by that is I've had two quite deep conversations with clients recently whereby and I, th I think this is relatively common sometimes in the spiritual world people are seeking themselves mm -hmm. improvement connection but by default they're never going to find it mm -hmm. it goes back to Robert Holden's idea of self-acceptance is the prerequisite for self-development mm -hmm. um, and I sometimes wonder, what are we seeking? And are we, by doing that, we're basically saying there is something outside of us that we need. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's a piece missing. There's a piece of knowledge or there's a piece of something that we need to find on our next retreat or in our next meditation session. Uh, and then we'll be whole. Then we'll be connected. Then we'll, right. then we'll fulfill the criteria of being a spiritual person. And I have so been there. I've been like, hmm, should I get rid of my TV? Like that, that feels like that's what a spiritual person would do. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't watch cable. I don't even have a cable. <laughs> I'm so woke. You know what I yeah. mean? Like I've done this a lot over yeah. decades. Yeah. Um, and then Ramdas has the saying, um, what's he call it? He calls it phony holy. Yeah. Like don't, don't let things go when they're not ready. Yeah. To be let go. Right. Like Katie, my wife and I have just come across Stranger Things. We're obsessed with it. We love yeah. watching that yeah. episode. Yeah. Um, I am not ready to give up TV. I'm not that enlightened yet, whatever you right. want to call it. Um, and by default, you could argue that means I am enlightened. Mm -hmm. I'm not forcing things that I think should be done if you're going to be an enlightened person. Right. Um, and I'm really like, I'm quite mindful of this when I'm speaking to people these days, like, are they, are they down the wrong rabbit hole? Because essentially mm -hmm. they're not accepting either who they are as they are at the moment, or they're not accepting an element of their life. Mm -hmm. And it's not that we don't want those things to improve, but we can want them to improve while at the same time exa accepting exactly how it is. It's this paradox of spirituality 
Yeah. Um, and I think that's really big. Um, I had one other point I was going to say, but it's gone. Oh, that was it. There, there was a story. So I got a, this amazing client who, uh, who now is a good friend. Um, and he told me this story, and I'm going to paraphrase, which he paraphrased. So it's pretty much a completely different story now. But the message will be the same, which is there was a guy on his path to enlightenment. He had hired a guru, and he was sitting there one day meditating. And his guru came around, checked in on him, and was like, how are you doing, Mark? And Mark was like, had an expression on his face of just sheer efforts, like trying so hard to meditate and not think and have that clear mind. And he was like, oh, I'm just not there yet. And his guru went away and his guru came back a few weeks later. Mark was sitting there meditating. And the guru goes, Mark, how are you doing? He's like, oh, hi, Matthew. Yeah, I'm, doing, I'm doing really well. And it's this idea of not having expectations, preferences, thoughts about what it should be. Mm -hmm. I, and I love that idea. I, was, I laughed about it for several days afterwards because it resonates with me, this idea of be quiet, I'm meditating. Right. <laughs> it's like, again, rigidity. That is not being an enlightened spiritual person in my right. eyes at the moment. It's, yeah. being, it's being fluid. It's adapting to what's going on and just surrendering to the experience as it is at that point in time. And I think if we can truly start to do that, then we're in a really great space. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that we're bringing this up because certainly um, it is really cool. And I've, I've discussed with people how, you know, like, okay, technology and okay, well, technology is a tool that we created and it's double-edged sword that, I mean, we created the tool just like a real sword. So what side of the sword you're swinging with or whatever, like that's your choice, bro. So, you know, um, my point being, you know, we can use the tool of technology. So that's to say, I do see, you know, through technology in the internet world, I do feel that I'm seeing uh, an increasing movement in awareness within the psycho-emotional spiritual realm. You know, there's um, definitely, uh, it seems like different camps or, you know, there's all these different, uh, kind of spiritual Instagram pages with hundreds of thousands of followers. And, you know, some of these, I, I like looking at some of their quotes yeah. every, every damn day. It's, it's prompting and nice. Um, but yeah, you know, we are also kind of in this place of, okay, we, we are, sort of accepting this sort of spiritual movement that is rising. And I do think there is a little bit of a mass awakening occurring right now, which is exciting to see, but it's also like, we got to check ourselves because we don't have a damn clue what we're doing in a lot of ways. Um, and I do think that the spiritual thing, I liked what you said about the TV of like, well, a spiritual person doesn't <laughs> watch TV and all that. Um, but that's kind of the thing about spirituality is I think sometimes we can, you know, use it as, um, you know, another projection of ego in a lot of ways. Cause you know, uh, with like, uh, it's kind of like, are you living eudaimonically versus hedonically? You know, are you an organism that is, you know, running towards pleasure and running away from pain and fear? Um, you know, or are we living more eudaimonically and pursuing this kind of uh, sense of self-actualization. And the funny thing about the road, the path to 
enlightenment, nirvana, source, understanding, truth, all of these things, um, you know, or, or trying to tap into that kind of fifth dimension, the quantum realm, the realm of unconditional love. Um, but the thing is, it's not... <laughs> isn't kind of the whole point like it's not really it's not a destination it's not a path that we have to hedonically pursue of i'm not enough i'm not spiritual enough i'm not cool enough i'm not worthy enough um so then i have to walk this path i have to do all of these things i have to strip away i have to slay and kill and stab my own ego i have to you know have these out of body uh psychedelic experiences and it's like well, that isn't the whole point of spirituality, like the the living of truth in the moment, the present, the consciousness. Um, so again, it's like that foresight of we think of what could be, like think of how much better my life could be if I was more spiritually developed and more spiritually pursued and I've you know done all the things. But again, it's like, well, but what is it? For like, uh, let's bring it back to the conscious present moment and and surrender that like I am enough, and that's something with like the Toltec wisdom books, Four Agreements, and Master of Self, and all of those, which I love. I think they're uh, very simple, very powerful, very beautiful um, books. There, but you know, he talks about that a lot of just you know, it's that unconditional love, and so that's where um, I think sometimes this notion of we have to pursue this path and do all of this work and whatever. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe what it is is more surrendering, surrendering right now and reconnecting to the realm uh, of unconditional love. That's always present all the time. It connects us across the universe all the time. And you spoke to that, you know, you, you talked about the chakras and, you know, there's part of it too. Sometimes people get, a little bit weirded out or lost with the spiritual, but you know, the terminology doesn't really matter if we want to think of it as like the quantum realm, the, you know, unconditional love realm, the fifth dimension. Um, but either way, I think it, it's just all about energy, everything about our, our universe, the, you know, Saturn's rings or your heart, you know, it's all just matter. It's atoms, it's energy. And, you know, what's emotion, you know, kind of a human fallacy that really is just energy in motion. And we all have our, our biofield, our frequency. And so like Joe Dispenza talks about, you know, when we're uh, overly sympathetic and, and we're ill or stressed or whatever, you know, we're sucking energy out of our own aura, our own biofield, you know, to use that uh, within ourselves. Whereas when we're healthy and we're happy, you know, we're, we're radiating a bigger biofilm, a, a bigger aura. And that's where, you know, you get a lot of um, people in the same room and you can see how their brains will start getting in sync, their heart rate variability. And, uh, you know, it, it's that model of coherence. And then, you know, his whole thing is like, I think that's his project is like project coherence or something like that. You know, and this idea of like, well, when we as a, um, as a collective consciousness, you know, we're kind of putting our batteries together. We're, we're combining our energy. We're raising the frequency and how, Oh, well this, this energy that then this collective is giving off has healing properties. You know, it, it reduces crime. It, you know, benefits the economy. It, you know, heals the planet. It gives off good energy to other people. 
So I think there's a lot to it. I know I'm kind of all over the place with this, but, um, you know, I think we have to be careful about not turning spiritual practice into a projection of ego or a justification of egotistical practices, because that's kind of the whole point is to, to not be slave to our primordial ego, to, you know, transcend above the worldly ego seduction and tap into that higher self, which is always there and it's always present. So I think I, I find myself doing that a lot of like, almost like, you know, whipping myself and let me hunt down all the weaknesses of my soul. And it's like, mm, but is that the point? Isn't the point to, <laughs> I, I'm enough right now and I'm going to surrender and I'm going to love and appreciate everything about my reality for where it is right now. I'm going to continue moving into the forward, but I'm here. Yeah, I don't know. So, and down the rabbit hole now. Uh, <laughs> no, a hundred percent. I think um, the thing that comes up when you said that was, I think that's where energy medicine is so important. Mm -hmm. Because I, I, my feeling is that you're not going to rationally improve that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like I can't tell myself a thousand times. I'm worthy and then be worthy. Like it goes so much deeper and there's going to be all sorts of energetic, emotional stuff that needs to be processed and integrated into your whole. Um, and that's where I think some of these practices, whether it's is like chakra healing, whether mm -hmm. it is psychedelics, whether it is, whatever it needs to be, um, it's working at an energetic, emotional level where I think all the magic truly happens. And I think as soon as you've had an, a sneak peek into how like transformative that can be, that there's no turning back from that argument. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I came away from it for a, a couple of days where I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do for career? Because like, I'm not interested in which strain of probiotic you should be taking right, right. now. <laughs> and, and then I kind of reflected on it. I was like, okay, well, you know, my body is the vessel for my spirits and my soul. Yeah. And therefore what I do is still really important. Um, so I kind of backed off away from panicking that I was in the wrong career. Right. But um, there's a great, the, the, the preview for Fantastic Fungi, I think is the film that's, I think, kind of doing the rounds at the moment in the cinemas. There's a, there's a scene or recording of a guy who did a, a psychedelic experience, I think maybe at somewhere like John Hopkins or one of the, the universities studying this. And he was like, you know what? I'm not scared of death anymore. You know, and he's like, it was such like this powerful experience where it's like, I've seen what comes afterwards. I know what I truly am and therefore I'm not scared anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel quite similar. You know, it's this idea. I think I have seen what comes after this physical human life. And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's amazing. You know, kind of like I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> um, so it's, it's making the most of this world and it's yeah. leaving it in a better place than I came to it. Yes. And it's, and it's knowing that this is part of the journey, but it's, it's the human part. And I think there's another part afterwards. Mm -hmm. And if nothing else, it just feels great to believe that.
Totally. And I'm, I'm glad you're saying this too, because something that, you know, um, I find myself wrestling with and, and that's where, again, sometimes it, it's always a balancing act of, you know, sometimes I'm like, Brendan, you know, that, that inner judge, the, the, the judge is definitely a part of our psyche, but it's, Hey, I mean, you know, you kind of need a judge. Like I shouldn't, I don't think we should like damn the judge, but it is that balancing act of, well, we, you know, should judge ourselves to a degree, but not always. Uh, Cause I'm just like something I wrestle with the difference between, um, you know, cause we're all very dynamic beings. I think everybody has traits of narcissism or, you know, traits of uh, e- egotistical, you know, whatever, um, cause I mean, you know, like narcissism and that, which that's its own whole thing, you know, oh, he's such a narc and all that shit, you know, that anybody that's ever been in a bad relationship is probably a self-proclaimed expert on narcissism. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but you know, part of it too, is kind of that difference between ego and ambition. Um, cause something for me, you know, everything we're talking about, I love to go there. I love to question Um, the trick is sometimes not like causing this disassociation where it's almost like none of this even matters. And we're all just manifestations of the universe (laughs) experiencing itself. And it's just like, well, um, you know, you kind of almost like deconstruct the human experience. And if, if, if it doesn't matter and it, it doesn't mean anything, it's not significant. Well, then that's going to be how it is because you just manifested that for yourself, you know, whereas, that's ultimately what I get back to though. Um, and that's where, you know, I almost look at it as uh, and that's where like this podcast, the podcast is such a passion project, you know, and in full transparency that people don't really understand yet. Um, it's like, you know, the, the podcast, that's something, you know, I pay money out of my pocket to produce because it's a passion project and, to me, it's, it's a, it's serving a greater purpose. Like how I actually pay my bills is running lab tests and teaching people, you know, what they, mm-hmm. what they need to be taught based on that. Um, but it's all, it, it all is for the greater purpose of like, I think we owe it to ourselves to make the most out of this beautiful experience. You know, I, I do uh, ultimately, if we really zoom out and go full blown spiritual hippie mode, it's just like, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty trippy, you know, with this grand universe and all the atoms and the, just the fact that we're here at all. And, you know, here for such a, a blink of an eye and this kind of transient pseudo commensal species on the face of this planet. Um, and again, unfortunately though, if we look at it from a biological uh, kind of evolutionary cut and dry perspective yeah our species is is parasitic to the planet and we are the only species on this planet um that is really parasitic to the planet everything else it fits in you know the you know the mold which is a you know heterotrophic organism of it's a recycling organism and you know there there are other parasitic relationships in nature but there's nothing like the parasitic effect of humans on the face of the planet. And I'm just like, you know what? We owe it to ourselves to make the most out of this beautiful experience that we've been given because we, we came from source, we will return to source. And that's where I don't know that I'm at 
where I want to be with that whole paradigm. You know, I, I don't, you know, if I died tomorrow, I'd, I'd be kind of bummed out, you know, <laughs> that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. But I'd be a little bit bummed because there's still so much I want to do. Uh, there's so much good that I want to do in this world because it's just like, I mean, if we're not trying to make it better for the next people on this planet and leave this planet, this world, just a little bit better than when we came into it. Otherwise, what is the point? <laughs> you know, not that there has to be a point, um, but I don't know. It's, I, I, I want there to be some kind of point. Um, and, you know, I, I can't see all the, the darkness in the world or the greed or the, the bad, the yuck. I can't sit by idly, you know, I can't just sit in my Nirvana bubble and be like, well, no. so then, you know, it is that integration, right? We have to, uh, you know, challenge our perception of reality uh, and open our consciousness for the sake of mass healing on a, you know, global and universal level. But yeah, we have to integrate that back to the reality that we live in, um, and you know, so then it, it like, it's, uh, cause I'm right there with you. Sometimes it is like, does this matter that I'm just, you know, like give, give you probiotics and tell you to, you know, stop eating processed food or whatever it is. And it's like, well, sometimes it feels very small and trivial, but it's, it's a part of a bigger, but that's, that's again, where I think these types of conversations, right? You know, if, if all I ever do is, okay, who's the next, you know, client in line that I'm here to service with the service that I provide, that's where I think these types of conversations, you know, this is, this is the way forward is mass teachings, you know, getting thought. If we can, if we can change the thought, the beliefs and, you know, um, inspire and educate, you know, this is how we raise the vibration of the of the whole collective you know yeah definitely i mean we're we're hardwired to be connected you know we, yeah. we we are meant to have our tribe however big that tribe is meant to be that i think i've heard different things from 30 to 300 people is kind of what it should be mm -hmm. um but that's it and it's a tricky one because you can say what is the point why am i here doesn't really matter <laughs> I'm getting okay with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is what it is, you know. It's a beautiful world. Yep. And I am 100% interested in speaking with beautiful people, having beautiful experiences, um, and learning. Like, yeah. there's, a, there's a book called uh, The Holographic Universe. Yeah, I got to read and, that. And one of the things in it is, you know, we are having this human experience to grow from it, to learn. Uh, and then we'll take those lessons with us to the next life. And I just love that idea. Um, you know, we are here to, to learn. We are maybe here to become whole. Maybe we have an opportunity to, to really surrender, to lose the ego and to be that just light bubble of joy that I think is within all of us that we're mm -hmm. just pushing down for various reasons. Yeah. But fundamentally, connection, feeling safe, and as a result of those two things, having the ability to express what we need to express. Mm -hmm. I heard an expression that someone mentioned that is Paul Cech's expression. And I think it is the diseases of repression. 
this idea that people are not expressing themselves in whatever shape or form that is you know depression can be a lack of expression mm -hmm. um, and if that's journaling dancing or going to the gym or singing or sculpting or drawing art whatever it is some form of expression is fundamental to the human spirit mm -hmm. um, and there's you know there's research you can go and find on pubmed on this kind of topics um, i think it is a really key part especially in like the chronically ill if you've got someone who's almost bedridden with lyme disease cfs whatever like these become the almost the first conversations to be having mm -hmm. because they may have biological physical suffering but that can be differentiated with i guess a lot of practice from the spiritual side of things i've got a paper i'm reading at the moment about spiritual practice in, in integrative medicine and it's this idea that as an integrative practitioner part of our role is to make our patient whole spiritually even if there isn't a cure to their biological disease mm. and that is huge because when i'm working with individuals who are chronically suffering i think that's such a key part of it again it's almost like the self-acceptance piece in some ways it's kind of saying let's get you whole spiritually what is needed what do you need to let go of what mm -hmm. can you do can you draw can you sculpt what is it that we can do to give you some of the fundamental human needs yeah um so you know that's the kind of thing that i'm munching over at the moment yeah exactly and you know the the power of the mind is immense and and that's where um there, there is something to be said about that like what kind of came up in my head while you were saying that you know i i think of like um you know mold toxicity which yeah is kind of my my big thing and i'm trying to crack that code just like a number of people out there and you know so it's like oh well you know what what uh phase two detox pathways are involved with you know uh clearing out these these mycotoxins that get stuck you know and sequestered and yeah the hla type that you know can't form antibodies against it and it's like oh if you can't form antibodies against it like how the hell do we get it out? Like these, <laughs> these things are literally, you know, these ionospheric fat soluble and water soluble, uh, you know, molecules that get stuck in our cell membranes and are, are highly toxic and, you know, are highly carcinogenic, you know, it, they're, they're just straight poison. Um, very fascinating mycotoxins. Mm. Um, but, you know, with that, you know, and then I think of, again, like Joe Dispenza, who I don't even really actually know. Like I, the Joe Dispenza, who I keep referring to over and over, I'm very fascinated by his work, but like not a fanboy. I actually don't know that much about the guy or his work. I'm tapping into his, one of his books. But I think he was the guy that like healed his spine through meditation or yeah. I think that's him. Yeah, that's him. And so you know, I think about that a little bit. And like you're saying, the, the chronically ill and, you know, they might be bedridden. Um, I think of my ex-fiance who is who got me kind of steered onto this path. Um, I am very convinced, very convinced to this day that, yeah, it was mold illness that wrecked her. I just didn't know what I was looking at at the time. I just was seeing my, my at the time fiance in crippling pain you know, with, with doctors like, mm, don't know what's wrong with you sort of thing. That's, that's how I got to where I am, basically. And so I think about like, you know, kind of that meditation aspect of, 
you know, how much control do we have over our biology? And I almost envision like, you know, if I had the ability to, you know, reach into those cell membranes and, you know, pick out these mycotoxins that are stuck there. And I believe in the power of what that might be able to do if we have that visual cleansing. Um, and then scientifically, what happens? Like, do we see an upregulation of different detox mechanisms? Because I think it's funny how like we've got the Krebs cycle mapped out electron, you know, oxidative phosphorylation and electron transport chain, you know, you open any textbook, we've got that shit mapped out. <laughs> and yet all the while our, uh, our understanding of our, our own energy and how we can control the flow of energy. I love what you said earlier about, you know, vibrant health is when we are, you know, allowing energy to move you know, through us, out of us, whatever, um, unrestricted. And I think uh, very, I very much believe like a lot of suffering is the restriction of energy flow. And like, I'm not a Reiki practitioner, but I've had a lot of cool conversations with Reiki practitioners. And, you know, I just describe as like, well, you know, the, the best thing I can do to help somebody heal is create a safe space that they are able to heal, which really means um, you know, we got to start breaking down those walls that are restricting the flow of energy because that energy gets, you know, kind of stored up and it can become toxic and, you know, septic. And it's, it's like the river of life. You know, if, if uh, the river gets blocked and then there's not a clean flow of water, you know, there's stagnation and, you know, nasty swamps or whatever start, ugh, you know, mosquitoes and disease and, toxicity and nasty stuff like we've got to let that energy flow and something you know you kind of alluded to it um we don't express it you know and depression uh i love what you said about depression and expression or a lack of expression um because yeah you look at like animals in the wild or something when in when a gorilla gets really mad he might flip over a rock but he's releasing that energy now i'm not saying humans should you know if you're mad go flip a car over but like i do think <laughs> you know, humans have gotten really good at repressing energy rather than um, expressing energy in a, in a healthy way. 100%. Do you know uh, the work of Peter, Peter Levine, mm. Waking the Tiger, his book? So no, he's like all about it. this. It's, it's basically all around how if you look at animals in nature with when they have had a traumatic experience, so the, hunt, the lions hunted them down, for example, if they survive, what they do is they shake. Yeah. There is a, a default kind of response to expel that energy that has been released, as it were. And in a really, really simplistic terms, we don't do that anymore. We freeze, maybe, um, but we don't have that kind of default mechanism at our disposal for various reasons, depending on the trauma and things like this. So he, he talks a lot about kind of trauma release work. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, cases that I've read so far in his book are like taking people back to that experience, but almost like giving them the resources required to then release that energy that got trapped during that traumatic events. And that might, I might have got that a little bit wrong, but that's the general mm -hmm. premise of some of his work. And it's, it's a really brilliant read. And if you work or if anyone listening um, deals or is suffering with kind of trauma, Peter Levine and his work is just, it's 
it's fantastic. And that um, was Awakening the Tiger. Awakening the Tiger. Um, because obviously, and it, it goes partly back to, um, I think he mentions in the book, sort of the polyvagal theory, you know, this, mm-hmm. which essentially again comes back to safety. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you are, I don't know, an animal that a lion might kill, uh, you will go limp, you'll pretend death ultimately in the chance that if he starts dragging you back to his den and drops you at one point that you then may be able to run away. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you have, you know, you will be shaking as you munch back on that grass. Mm-hmm. Um, there is just a natural response to help them overcome the trauma that we don't have as humans. Mm-hmm. So there is all sorts of different work. Um, I'm gonna, I think, is it Soho? It's something like Soho, S-O-H-O. But basically there's like this, this meditation sort of retreats, I think somewhere in India, and they have these movement sort of meditations that are often five parts. And to do it full, I think each part is like 15 minutes long. And it varies from shaking the body in a non-rhythmic way Mm-hmm. to literally start to dispel some of the energy. There's jumping up and down on the spot with your arms above your head for 15 minutes. I think one is kind of like just sheer, like screaming and shouting and things, like really releasing it. There's, I think, one other one, and the final one is just lying down for 15 minutes and mm-hmm. grounding yourself. Um, and we did like a mini version of that, or some of it, on the Sunday, the day after the psychedelic ceremony. I mean, we did the shaking followed by the grounding, and even that felt so like powerful and almost cleansing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the key is that non-rhythmic element to it. You're not creating yeah. a rhythm in the shaking. You're, it's very um, sort of spontaneous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think stuff like that, it's basic, but I think for some it can be quite powerful. And I definitely felt really just connected and grounded after doing it. I think we did 10 minutes of shaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, going back to what you said, it's it's huge. You know, we're kind of for whatever reason, I guess part of our biochemical evolution, we've we've lost this innate ability to deal with that trauma. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, we have different traumas these days, you know, the yeah. the more emotional psyche type traumas that we can experience as well. But I do think the same tools could potentially be helpful there to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, his work is fascinating though. Yeah, and it's, you know, I, I like what you said, you know, the the non-rhythmic, right? Um, on the one hand, you know, when we, it, I love how with science, and this is what's really cool is I, I feel like uh, we're starting to scientifically, uh, scientifically explore um, concepts that have always been deep rooted in our um, kind of, you know, species value system. And really just what we find is, oh yeah, the, you know, the things that we've always felt like traditionally felt good, uh, before we kind of grew into what we know as like modern society of skyscrapers and internet, you know, but if we more kind of look a little bit further back and just, um, are, are more kind of primordial kind of primal roots, um, nature, it always, you know, comes back to nature, the natural world and the, the natural balance of things. And the further we've gotten away from that, the, the, you know, kind of worse, everything seems to get in some ways that's a little cynical sounding, but, 
um, you know, the, the non-rhythmic, it makes me think of, uh, like on the one hand in nature, you see so much rhythm, so much, um, beauty and, you know, you picture this, this beautiful uninterrupted flow of energy, but you know, what also happens though, is, you know, that wave, that wave that's like, you know, smashing against the rocks. Uh, nature is also very, very rough and very savage and very, uh, you know, uh, abrasive and you know what I mean? So it's, yeah, there, there's the time that the ocean is just perfectly glass still and smooth and everything is peaceful and calm, but there's also the big storm and the, all of that. So, uh, that's kind of the beauty of the dynamic human experience is, uh, you know, there, there is that, there is that time of kind of coherence and peace and, and soothing, but there's also the, the jarring. So I like that of kind of the non-rhythmic dancing and how cleansing that probably is because it's not always going to be like this perfectly smooth, eloquent forecasted routine. Sometimes right. it's just sporadic shaking and whatnot that helps us release that, that energy that otherwise can, you know, become stagnant and, it, you know, it seems like stagnant energy is kind of where disease begins in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah, I mean, that reminds me of a conversation I heard between Zach Bush and Rich Roll on the Rich Roll mm. podcast. And he mm. gave this amazing kind of description of, of kind of the cancer cell and, and kind of connecting it with um, really, I guess, the, the disconnection we have as a society with mm. nature, with community, and is the, at a cellular level, is cancer kind of the manifestation of that lack of interconnectedness, that isolation, that breakaway from synergy and communication with the neighboring cells, i.e. our neighbors, etc. cetera. Yeah. And he, he did it in such a beautiful way. And the other thing, which goes back way in our conversation, but I, I'm going to bring it up now randomly, is... Going back to what we were discussing around like identity, ego, behavioral change, mm-hmm. Zach Bush made a, a, just such a great point around our behavior is going to be partly influenced by the identity we have for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So if you identify yourself as an achiever, what do you need to maintain your identity? Well, you need to find stuff to achieve. Mm-hmm. And what happens when you don't or can't have stuff to achieve, well, then suddenly you've got a loss of your identity and that's going to be really stressful. Mm-hmm. If you identify as a helper or a fixer, what do you need? You need broken stuff. So what are you yeah. subconsciously attracting into your life? Stuff mm-hmm. to fix. Um, and I just thought that was such a powerful yeah. conversation and concept. And it's amazing how many times I've brought that up in clinic and clients suddenly go, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have a, a client at the moment Base, relatively basic case of SIBO, treated it with antibiotics and the SIBO diet, came back three months later. He comes to see me, that was, he did that, all of that previously, comes to see me with SIBO again. Um, and, you know, we could have probably said, okay, we'll do another round of antibiotics and go back on the diet. It worked. Um, but he has loads of stress at work. He's writing a novel at the weekends. He exercises to a very high intensity early in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, it was, and it was just like, wow, yeah, I'm 
I'm an, I'm an achiever. Like, like I'm trying to achieve too much. How can I possibly heal my body if I have this much stuff right. going on? Right. So actually it becomes an identity issue, not a SIBO issue. Right. Um, and I think that's where our conversations need to be going more when we're dealing with some of these common conditions that even SIBO can have a like a behavioral element because mm-hmm. our behavior is going to influence the nervous system. And if we're stressed, it's influencing right. motility and, and the immunity and it's all connected mm-hmm. and you just have to keep going back. And I don't know, I at the moment I'm finding that I just keep going back to these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad. And we'll probably wrap up on that note because I I'm really glad we brought that up with, um, the identity piece, because I, I think that is kind of the fundamental core uh, of all of it. Like, yeah, you know, SIBO can be pretty easily treated with antimicrobials and low FODMAP diet or whatever, or, you know, um, you know, Borrelia can be killed, you know, um, things can be detoxed. Uh, um, but, but nonetheless, and don't get me wrong, that's, that's very powerful and, you know, thank God for kind of the functional medicine paradigm, saving the world and whatever. Um, but yeah, if we don't change the environment and the behavior that led to the condition, yeah, they're going to keep showing up. You know, they, they, it's again, just like, uh, using mold as an example, like, cool. Um, you know, if you never get out of the moldy environment, yeah, we're never really going to get anywhere. If we don't change the environment, we don't change the behavior. Uh, well, then it's still just, it's, it's root cause allopathic medicine, <laughs> you know, like, and, 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 and it's still very allopathic. It's still very reductionistic uh, if we ever want to get ahead of that. And so I like what you said of whatever we identify as, you know, what's that story that we're telling ourselves of, you know, oh, Brennan Vermeer is X, Y, Z. Well, I'm the holistic savage and, you know, whatever identity that I choose to associate myself with. And then in doing so, you know, we're putting off a specific frequency that attracts another type, you know, your vibe attracts your tribe sort of thing you put out. Mm. So, yeah, I think we do have to be really questioning um, our self-chosen and self-allotted perception of our identity. And if, you know, if you want to change the the story of your life, you need to change the story you're telling yourself, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's tough, but it's, it's where true transformation, I guess, can start to, to take place. Mm-hmm. True transformation, true healing. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I've got a meeting in about 15 minutes, but uh, I feel like this is probably going to become like a recurring thing of like, you know, Alex and Brendan go down the rabbit hole round, round 10, you know, <laughs> um, but man, I've got to say like our, our first podcast on your show was like hands down one of the best conversations I've had all year. And I've had some pretty amazing conversations. This so this was pretty amazing to be able to just have around too. And I love how we just kind of dove right in and I had no idea where it was going to go, but I think we covered a lot of ground that honestly really valuable stuff. I hope so. I hope yeah. so. Yeah. It's been yeah. fun. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> people are going to listen and it'll, you know, resonate with whoever it resonates with, but uh, <laughs> You know, either way, uh, amazing conversation. You're you're such a wealth of knowledge and experience and wisdom and so many dynamic um, 
you know, bits of knowledge all fused together. And yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's how we're really going to, um, you know, create the necessary change and, and raise the awareness so people really can. Because the whole point, you know, for me at least, is kind of this whole, you know, teaching people how to, how to heal themselves, how to obtain that life right. that they want. Um, and so we've got to, if we want to see a different result in the world, we've got to change the conversation. I, I feel like we're, our conversation was pretty radical. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. And so with that said, thank you so much for joining me, man. Thank you for having me on. I was, uh, I'm honored and it has been a lot of fun and I hope your listeners have enjoyed it. Absolutely. So I'll keep you posted on when we uh, drop the episode, probably our, you know, ticket list or whatever, like eight weeks or so is the ETA. Um, okay. Now I've got to figure out how this recorded. Part of it recorded <laughs> to my computer and part of it recorded to the cloud. But fortunately, I have helpful tech people. But I'll let you get back to your day. I'm sure we'll we'll talk soon, my friend. Uh, but amazing conversation and uh, I'm sure it'll happen eventually where our paths cross. So next time you hop to this side of the world or vice versa, we'll have to uh, have, a, have a live convo. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to the day. Yep. Cool, man. We'll talk soon, my friend. All right. Take care, right. Brendan. See you, Alex. Bye.